I had recently graduated high school and all my friends had gone away for school, so I was left pretty much on my own. And I was really struggling with finding a new group of people to connect with because I was so close with my group of friends. I just didn't want to make new friends. And I started thinking about the future and kind of what I wanted to do with my life. So I decided to look up a book and the top recommended book on Amazon when I searched was Chase the Lion by Mark Batterson. It was talking about your spheres of influence. So I kind of started backtracking and I was like, well, who am I allowing to influence me? And I just kept coming back to the same idea that my friends are who I'm letting influence me. The further I got into that book, the more I heard God telling me to leave my current group of friends and surround myself with people with similar beliefs and just a better group of people. I didn't really want to give that any thought because my friends were all away at school and who could influence me when they're not even in the same city as me. When they all came back for Christmas break, I spent majority of my time with them and I just completely disregarded what God had said because these were my friends and I didn't understand why he would ask me to stop being their friend. During that break, we partied a lot and I was drinking a lot and I was really distant from, distant from God. Uh, I kept searching for validation in my friends and not from God. And when they left, I was left with this gross feeling and I didn't know how to get rid of it. Uh, I knew that I had disobeyed God, but I just didn't know how to fix it. It was around that time after they left that I was talking to Kayla and she told me, just stop sinning, just stop, it's so easy, you just need to stop. And I kind of got angry at her because these are my best friends. It's not easy to just stop being somebody's friend when you've been friends with them your whole life. That night after my conversation with Kayla, I decided to finish reading the book Chase the Lion because I had kind of put it on hold when my friends, when my friends came back. And lo and behold, there was the perfect verse just waiting for me to read it. Batterson references 1 Corinthians 15.33-34, which says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. I started to laugh when I read that, and I just texted Kayla saying, Okay, God, I hear you. I actually read the verse like 10 times in a row because it just made so much sense to me. I want to have good character and I want the people I'm hanging out with to help shape that character and I want them to be on the same page as me so we are both working to shape each other. With summer approaching and my friends coming home shortly, um, I'm just going to continue to pray that God would give me the courage to stand strong in my decision to obey Him and I am going to keep reading that verse however many times it takes to remind myself of that truth. And hopefully at one point I will be able to enter back into those relationships with my friends and I will be able to influence them and I will be able to stand strong and keep my faith when I'm around them. I'm Hannah and I'm being shaped by scripture. Series called Shaped by Scripture. And as you engage with the scriptures, um, one of the things that, um, that we want to offer to you is um, we're going to have Kayla come over to your house and cheer for you. That's a big, 
That's one of the things that you get as a part of engaging in the scriptures. No, we, um, we gather together seriously in life groups, um, on a weekly basis. We gather together in smaller circles and we do cheer each other on because we realize that words, um, in particular, the words of God have a very powerful effect on us. Um, a big part of the shaping, as we learn from Hannah's story, is acknowledging that we're misshapen in some ways. It begins with an acknowledgement that we need to be reshaped into the image of Christ. And so um, we, we can engage with Scripture in a lot of ways. If you're not familiar with this Bible reading plan that we're using on the Version Bible app, it's called Let's Read the Bible Together. And it's a way for you to interact, and Scripture can shape you in that way. Uh, scripture can shape you um, as you sing Scripture. Scripture can shape you as you memorize it, as you meditate on Scripture throughout the day. Um, scripture has the power of, of changing you as you discuss Scripture with your friends. So we encourage you to engage with God's Word. We understand it can be kind of a big, thick, daunting book, but we're going to go um, approach it a page at a time, a word at a time. And as we walk through this together, um, then we are allowing him to transform us. I read this uh, quote by Dallas Willard. He's got a new book out um, called Life Without Lack. It's on the 23rd Psalm. It's really good. And if you're wondering how he is writing, still writing books posthumously, um, he is, uh, um, this is a collection of some talks that he has given on the 23rd Psalm. It's really good. But he says this, your primary contact with God is through your mind. Thus, what you do with your mind is the most important choice you have to make. Wherever your mind goes, the rest of your life goes with it. And so as we offer our minds to God and as we fill our minds with scripture, we are allowing ourselves to be shaped. Um, uh, when, when you read scripture, sometimes you get the sense that, <clears throat> you know, just a, a word or a verse kind of stands out, jumps off the page at you. And this doesn't always happen, but I know that some of you have talked about and kind of that Hannah's example there, she reads this passage and she realizes, <clears throat> excuse me, wow, this is really for me in, in this season. And I want to share with you a story of a time, this was several years ago, when I read a verse that stood out to me because it irked me. Um, it bugged me. Now, I, I didn't, it's not that I disagreed with it. I knew it was true. And because it was true, that's what bugged me. Um, because I was living my life in a way that I was expecting a certain result. And this verse was telling me it was going to be different. And I wasn't quite ready for that. And uh, in fact, I think it would be fun to write a book and title it Bible Verses That Irk Me. Uh, and I don't mean that in a sacrilegious way, um, but uh, I, just, I just think there are times when we're confronted with something that, I mean, it's, it's not just that we don't understand it, but it's, we realize, wow, this is going to be really hard to live this, which is really the point. Will we obey and will we live it? So um, before I read that, that verse to you, I want to pause and let's pray. And let's invite God to shape us even through prayer. Father, we open ourselves to you. I pray that as we read these verses, I, 
I ask that what stood out to me, maybe if that's not the word for someone else, that you would multiply this verse in the minds of of those that are here, and it could be that you have a different word for them. And I pray that they will sense the freedom to grab a hold of that and allow you to shape them through it. But Father, if, if there's some way that through the stumbling in my journey that others in this room can connect, can relate, and still see how you graciously um, are in the process of shaping me, then I, I pray that, um, that they will be encouraged in this way. I thank you that this ancient text is living and active. Um, it brings to mind how great you are, and it reminds us of who we are as beings created in your image. So settle in with us. We want you to be a good friend who speaks truth to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I'm going to be in Second Peter 1. And this was whatever... Bible reading plan I was following at the time. I think I was supposed to read um, 2 Peter chapters 1 and 2. And honestly, I didn't get past the first two verses before I stopped. And that was all that I read that day. So I'm not going to tell you which word stood out to me yet. But um, just let this kind of wash over your mind as Peter um, begins his letter. Like so many of the letters we have in the New Testament, he introduces himself and uh, says who he's writing to. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now there would be a lot of ways that even just these verses could shape you. Um, this scripture verse could shape you just as you look at how Peter introduces himself. He introduces himself as Simon Peter. And so what he is saying is, I am a changed man. If you're familiar with the story of his life, he grew up Simon and Jesus renamed him Peter, which means rock. He was the original Rocky. And he is this guy that God raised up to be a champion for real. But what he's doing, I want you to see how humble this is. He's saying, I'm coming to you as one who has been changed, Simon Peter, kind of before I met Jesus and after I met Jesus. So that could be one way that this scripture could shape you. Um, A second way is how he describes himself. He doesn't begin by saying, I am Peter the Apostle. He begins by saying, I am a slave of Christ. I am a bondservant and an apostle. In other words, he begins with saying, this is the humble place that I have before my creator and before you. Um, He's realizing that everyone has different gifts, but we're all called to be this type of a servant. And this type of a servant, just to give you a little bit of background, is one who is choosing, willfully choosing to serve his master. This is not one who has been forced to serve, but one who has chosen to serve. The root word is the word ear, which is kind of interesting. But what they would do to, um, to indicate that a slave has been set free, but they chose to stick around and serve their master, they would, for instance, um, put their ear up against a doorpost and they would drive a peg through it, basically piercing their ears. Um, it was before 
uh, Claire's in the mall. <laughs> but uh, they would have their ear pierced, and that was a symbol that they were choosing to stay and to serve. So Simon Peter, someone who's been changed by Jesus, is saying, um, I've had my ear pierced. I want to be a servant of Christ. That could shape you, but that's not what stood out to me that day. One more thing that is very shaping when we look at scripture, sometimes we are shaped just by who God is and how we understand Jesus. And very clearly in this passage, he is equating, just in case there's any confusion for his readers, he is saying that Jesus is God. The righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's giving us a glimpse of who God is in Christ. That could be shaping. But that still wasn't what shaped me. I'm going to read the first verse, and I'm going to read it in a way that emphasized the word that stood out to me. And I'm going to kind of read it in the way that I heard it in my head. Okay? To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. <laughs> precious? Really? Okay, now here's what's going on in my life. At that time, I was in the midst of taking a pretty big step of faith. There were a lot of uncertainties in my life. And it was kind of like I was making this deal with God. Okay, I'm going to step out, but I'm expecting you to be there. I mean, really, bless. This is, this, I need you to show up. And up to that point, I was kind of hitting the wall. But I knew it was what God was calling me to do. And so what I was experiencing was faith. And it was this step of faith was one of the grittiest, most difficult things that I had ever done. And so... Peter, though, he's talking about faith as being precious. And I thought, what is so precious about this? Um, this, it, this is more perilous than precious. And so I'm trying to picture how in the world could he equate precious, which I equate with like doilies, okay? How does that connect with how difficult it is to walk by faith? And so I got to thinking of all the things that I kind of viewed as just tough and gritty. And so I get this picture in my head and just go with it. Okay. But I get this picture in my head that I, I walk into a biker bar and, uh, I sit next to the biggest guy who weighs like 350 pounds, all clad in leather, 350 pounds, 25 pounds are beard and eight pounds of ink under his skin, okay? Um, he's drinking beer and he's eating cigars. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sitting there next to him and I notice he's got his, his helmet, his biker helmet sitting there on the bar. And it's got a skull and crossbones and it's got stickers all over it, none of which I could repeat in a church setting. And I, I'm impressed at that moment to look at him and say, Wow, that helmet is really precious. What do you think he would react? How would he react to that? How many of you think those would be the last words I would say on earth? I mean, see, you don't, you don't equate precious with something like that. So again, this is kind of what's going through my mind. And I'm not doubting that Peter 
is saying something true. I believe um, that the Bible in its entirety was authored by a perfect God who somehow inspired imperfect people to still communicate his perfect word to us. So I'm trying to figure out how in the world is this precious? And my mind immediately began to think of my grandmother's curio cabinet. The um, precious moments figurines, you know what I'm talking about? Precious moments. If you have some of those, I'm about to make fun of them, uh, just so you know. <laughs> have you noticed that, um, that when you're in a tough spot, sometimes the last thing you want to hear are just fluffy Christian platitudes? Can we be honest and say that? Have you ever really been in a tough spot and somebody shared something? And I'm not questioning their motives, but it was just kind of a trite saying that kind of left you feeling like, oh, that's not what I'm feeling right now. And that's it's kind of what I think about when I I think of precious moments figurines. Um, You know what I'm talking about? The cute little head tilt and the big sad eyes. And they're made of... um, Porcelain, yeah, same as toilets. And uh, (laughs) precious, precious toilets. Um, But they have these little sayings that go with them. And, And there were sayings, I'm not saying I saw these on Precious Moments figurines, but here I am in the midst of a really challenging step of faith in my journey. This is kind of one of the bigger ones in my adult life up to that time. And one of the things that I, that I had people, I had somebody tell me was the safest place for you to be is in God's hand. Now that sounded good, but in the middle of what I was going through, I was like, I, it doesn't feel very safe right now. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no place I would rather be than in God's hand. But when we commit ourselves to be in God's hand, it's like we become this instrument for him to use however he decides and chooses to use us. And sometimes that means way outside of our comfort zone, he wants to do something through us. And I'm telling you, that just doesn't feel safe. And so I got to thinking about um, like the life of Paul. This passage in 2 Corinthians describes Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is walking in God's will, who is walking by faith. Listen to how this is described. This describes him. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned which I think is kind of funny. Dude, not, 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 not that kind of stoned, all right? All right. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. The safest place is to be in God's hand. Here you go, Paul. Here's your little precious moments figurine. 
the most courageous, the most daring thing we can do is to lay our lives in the hands of God. And so this scripture, I keep coming back to faith is precious. And it wasn't quite shaping me. I just, it, more than shaping me, at this point, scripture left me scratching my head in confusion. Another thing that, that people were encouraging me with, and this, you could probably find it on a precious moments figurine, when God closes a door, he opens a, a window. Isn't that with a nice little valance over the top? An arrow that says, this is the way, come over here. I wish it was that clear. Um, but there is something about this journey with God that sometimes we find ourselves in a spot where we don't see an open door, where there are no windows, whether we want to go through that window or we just kind of want to see what's coming up. So when we walk by faith, it's just there is something in us that's like we we. We know God has called us to the other side of that wall to be outside of whatever room we're in at the time. But we can kind of be reluctant if we're just waiting for always for that open door or that open window. Um, about the time I was wrestling with this, I flew from St. Louis to L.A., which when you're in St. Louis and you say you did that, that sounds really cool by the way. But when you, I found out when you live here and you say you go to LA, people are like, okay. (laughs) It's just really not that big of a deal. But for me, it was a big deal. I went to LA. I went to this, uh, what at the time was kind of a smaller church, Mosaic, pastored by Erwin McManus. And he and his brother, as a part of this little conference that their church was doing, had a Q&A one night that I stuck around for. And they, they shared what I'm about to share. I thought it was kind of funny. It has really stuck with me. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sh- uh, I'm going to say a group of an animal, and you tell me how that animal is identified in a group. For instance, if I say bees, you don't have a group of bees; you have a swarm of bees. Okay, so this will be a little test. This is a time for you to try and uh, see if you, see if you pass. A group of cattle are called a what? A herd. Very good. Yep. A group of birds are called a, a flock. Nice. A group of fish are called a... Okay, those are easy ones. This one's a little bit harder. Um, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, a group of vultures. Show us. Yeah, isn't that funny? For real. Hey, Google it, all right? And then this one, this is, this is my favorite one. What do you call a group of rhinos? Say it real loud. A crash. Do you know that? A group of rhinos are called a crash. Why would they be called a crash? Did you know that rhinos can run 30 miles an hour? Yeah, 30 miles an hour. But did you know rhinos can only see about 30 feet? Some of you are starting to do the math. Yeah. God created rhinos to run 30 miles an hour, but he didn't give them the brakes to stop in 30 feet or less. So if you have a group, a crash of rhinos charging towards a wall or towards a a grove of trees, 
and those trees are 31 feet away, what are you going to hear? Crash. That's how they got their name. So let me tie this in with our journey. When you walk by faith, you are saying, I will walk with limited sight. Where God is calling you could be 31 feet away, but you can only see 30 feet ahead of you. 31 feet away, there could be a wall. What if we became known? What if Christians became known as a crash? What if we became known as a group of people who said, thank you, God, for where I am, but where you are calling me to is out there. It's outside of where I am now. It's beyond what I'm comfortable with. It's on the other side of that wall. But by faith, I will crash through that wall. By faith. And it is, there is something driving you that says, the last thing I want to do is to, to miss what God has for me. The life that God has called me to. And you might be kind of asking yourself the question, well, what... What if I run at this and it was the wrong wall? What if I run at this and it wasn't the life that I was expecting? Well, then I guess you have the option of staying in the place that you never really wanted to be at in the first place. So isn't it worth it? What is it that God is calling you to? What is this life that he's calling you to? What does that work that he's calling you to? Who is that person that he's calling you to? Will God give you sight the whole way there? Will he fling open doors and throw open the window? Not always. So if he doesn't give us sight, what does he give us? Faith. By faith, we run towards whatever separates us from where we are and where we need to be. And then it started to make sense. Faith is like a helmet that we wear. Faith is like the helmet that we wear so that we can crash through whatever it is that separates us from God and the life that he has for us. Well, let's say, remember the same biker dude? The guy that was the size of a rhino? Let's say um, I don't walk up to him in a biker bar. Let's say I walk up next to him in the hospital. And he's laid there on a hospital bed after a pretty horrific motorcycle accident. And the doctor comes in and says, you are lucky to be alive. That helmet saved your life. Then I could look at him and say, that helmet is pretty precious, isn't it? And he would agree. See, you don't realize how precious a helmet is until you need it. We don't realize how precious faith is until we need it. Are we willing to walk by faith? Are we willing to journey in a way that faith is required? to make this journey in which there will be crashing sounds along the way. 
I want to challenge some of you in a, uh, just in a real particular way. Some of you um, are at a place where you are just now considering the claims of Christ. And maybe you've dabbled in church. Uh, maybe, maybe you're just kind of back to church for the first time, or it could be that this is really your first step in the direction of church. Um, it could be that you are waiting for everything to make sense. It could be that um, you have some things in your life that you're going to try and get in order first. You're waiting for the fog of mystery to clear. Um, to you, I want to say, God has given you faith to crash through those doubts and those excuses to experience salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not waiting for you once you've figured it out. Salvation is there when you proceed by faith that Jesus has done for you what you need uh, to experience. See, Jesus is one who did a lot of crashing. Jesus' life had many moments that sounded like a loud crash. We know, um, and we remembered this as we took communion earlier, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and he broke it. And he is saying, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup, and he said, this, this represents my blood, the covenant, the new covenant of my blood shed for you. In other words, he knows he is about to physically endure something that is beyond any of our imaginations. And just a few moments after that, he invites some of his closest friends to go with him into the garden where he often communed with God the Father. And it's there that he prays a prayer, Lord, if it be your will, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. To interpret this loosely, Jesus was sort of saying, Lord, if it's your will, could you please open a door or prop open a window in a different direction? I'd really like to get out of this. Nevertheless, I will crash through. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Jesus lived a perfect life. Up to that point, there wasn't a wall that separated God the Father from God the Son. So what wall was he crashing through? He was crashing through our wall. He kind of led the way. And he is saying, and this is the gospel, I, I love them more than they can imagine. I am going to crash through. I'm going to give my life as the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the way that we follow as we give our lives to him. Church tradition tells us of how Peter's life ended. This Simon Peter, this kind of big-mouthed coward who became this amazing man of God. Church tradition tells us that he and his wife were executed for their faith. And uh, they required Peter to watch the execution of his wife before he himself 
was executed. And they were being, this was uh, their, the cause of their death was because they were so committed to the mission of Jesus because they had lived with such a tremendous faith and it was their faith that carried them through. And as Peter is watching his wife's education, uh, education, execution, they're very similar. Um, As Peter is watching his wife's execution, we are told that throughout that horrific event, Peter is saying, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And Peter crashes his way into heaven, crucified on a cross, but he says, I'm not worthy to die the death of my Savior. And so he was crucified upside down upon his request. So how do we obtain or develop such a strong faith? How do we crash through whatever that wall is that's keeping us from the life that God has for us here? How do we obtain the faith that we need? How do we strengthen the faith so that we can continue to press through and crash through until we find ourselves in heaven in God's presence? Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith is gained and faith is grown and strengthened by time being spent in God's word. As you engage with scriptures, one of the ways that it shapes you is it gives you faith. It strengthens your faith. So for our next courageous step, it begins with reordering our lives around God's word. The faith step that you need to take begins with, I am surrounding myself with, I am immersing myself in God's word. And as this works in you, you are reminded of why God can be trusted and why you will press through and you will hear that crash. Now, this is what's kind of interesting. God's word softens your heart. God's word softens your heart. And so here's the paradox. The key to breaking through thick walls is not a hard head. It's actually a soft heart. This is what will propel us forward. See, a hard heart says, I know I can do this. I'm not going to let this beat me. Um, But a softened heart, a heart that's softened by Scripture, is a heart that says, I know that the only way I can get through this is by faith and your strength. Lord God, how precious is your faith? When was the last time you attempted something for God that required precious faith? When will be the next time? April 7th? Precious faith? Getting on that plane, going to Ireland? Parents? Of those that are going, precious faith, as you wave, (laughs) and realize they're in God's hands. And God can do amazing things through people that are in his hands. I'm going to ask the band to make their way up. And we're going to close out, and I want you to begin to ponder, um, what is that wall in front of you? What is it that separates you 
from the life that God has created for you? What is it that is separating you from the people that God wants to reach through you? Could it be that you breaking through, you living a life that crashes, could bring salvation to others around you? At the end of the service, um, you'll be dismissed, but we'll have some people lined up for prayer. And we would love to, at that time, pray about what that next step is. Um, We believe big time in prayer. But here's the deal. If God's already indicated to you where he's calling you to go, stop praying and start crashing. If you know where God has called you to, we don't need to ask him again. He's waiting for us to live a life where we crash through. I'm going to ask you to uh, stand to your feet bow your heads Father this morning you gave each of us in this room breath and that was not by accident the reason you put breath in our lungs the reason we got out of bed is because there's still more that you want to do in and through us. Father, tomorrow, when we wake up and we're about to head out to school, to work, wherever it is that we're going, if you have put breath in our lungs again tomorrow, it's because you want us to live by faith, to crash through walls, and to make your name known in this world. You've given us breath for a great purpose. May we not be content to stay here in this little room of our lives. Continue to call to us. Maybe your, maybe your voice to people sounds muffled on the other side of that wall. I don't know how thick that wall is for the people here in this room. Father, give them faith, precious faith, and measure to the thickness of that wall and keep calling our name. And Father, we will not stop until you call us home. We will not stop until we can say with our very last breath, it is finished. We pray these things asking for you to stir in us to run by faith. In your name I pray, amen.